Welcome to the Simple Programmer Podcast. Making complex programming simple and fast. With everything from career advice to philosophy, it's the Simple Programmer Podcast. I'm going to talk to you today about how to create an automation framework. Uh, now, just a couple of caveats before I begin here. Uh, I'm going to use C Sharp and Visual Studio, but that's, it really doesn't matter what, what you use. Uh, you know, I, I've done automation frameworks in Java and JavaScript, uh, so don't, don't really uh, focus on the, on the technology itself. And then also, I'm not going to show you how to use Selenium. Uh, just want to be clear, I'm going to show you how to, how to build something at a, at a higher level of abstraction. It, I'm going to use Selenium in this, but I want to talk more about how to build a real automation framework that you can utilize uh, regardless of the technology underlying, because this is something that I think is, is extremely valuable for automated testing and, the, and that I don't see uh, often enough in automation efforts. So. I want to begin by talking about the types of automated testing that exist, because this is kind of an overloaded word, right? When, when someone says, are you creating automated tests, th what do they mean, right? There's a lot of different meanings here. So we basically have you know, three kinds of, of automated testing. And you're probably familiar with unit testing, right? Uh, that's an, a form of automated testing. Uh, integration testing, uh, this is uh, also fairly well known. But then there's this whole big area here, right, where it's like uh, black box testing, you know, system tests, user acceptance tests. We use all these, these terminologies. And I'm going to throw these all into the same category that I call, because there's really no term for this, I call it black box automation testing, or I've, I've abbreviated it BAT testing, or BATS. <laughs> um, <coughs> Hopefully this will catch on someday because it's, it's, uh, we, we don't have a way to communicate this. So let me just go over briefly the different, the different types. So you can see here unit testing, right? The, the ideal for unit testing is that we're going to create a test that is going to isolate the smallest thing, right? So in most programming languages, it's a class. We want to isolate that class and just test that class. Uh, it's automated, but we're looking at the code. So you know that's not what we're going to be focusing on today, obviously. And then <coughs> integration testing, now what we're doing is we are basically taking those multiple classes, putting them together, and, and we're, we're doing automated testing on that. There's a lot of value in both unit testing and in integration testing, but we're still focusing on the code, right? This is a white box testing because we can actually see in the code and our, our tests are written against that code. If we look at black box automated testing, what I'm calling BAT, what we're doing is we're, we're testing everything but we're not focusing on the code anymore. We're testing things how the user might test it, right? We don't have any idea what's going on. That's why we call it a, it's a black box, right? We can, we're, we're testing inputs and we're looking at outputs. We have no idea what's going on inside, or, or we shouldn't, that's our test shouldn't. So that's what I'm really focusing on in this talk, is I wanna show you how to create, uh, to do good black box automation testing, which is something that you don't see that often, right? You see a lot of unit testing and integration testing. Um, but a lot of companies, a lot of developers fail at, at this because it's, it's actually kind of hard if you don't uh, have the right tools to do this. 
So let's talk a little bit about why, because you still might not be convinced that why we should do black box automation testing. What is the value of it, right? I, I always hear this, uh, well, can we just use our unit and integration tests, right? And this is a good question, uh, because it's, you, you think that you might run all these other tests manually. Like, why spend the effort to do black box automation testing? Uh, the first one is, is because of regression. Right? Most of us today are working in agile environments. And this is the problem with manual testing, with, with manual black box testing, is that if you have a sprint, let's say your sprint goes every two weeks, your iteration is two weeks, well, uh, you test the, the manually test the features, right? And then uh, the system changes, right? It's not like the old waterfall approach where we built the whole system and then you can test it at the end. Now, your test team has to retest every two weeks. They have to retest everything because you could have a regression problem. So as your project continues and builds, the amount of tests that have to be run every single iteration increases in size. You're duplicating your efforts. So automating this has a huge value. The other thing is, it's sort of this absolute requirement, right? If I have a black box automated test, I can tell you exactly what that functionality in that application is supposed to do, because it's, it's a clear pass or fail, right? If, uh, if you get a business requirement from a, from a business person, and they tell you to implement something, and they, you, you might have a misunderstanding about how it's supposed to work. But if you have an actual automated test that clearly either passes or fails, that is the, the, the most accurate uh, definition of a requirement that you can get. And then finally, this is a point that I think a lot of people miss, is this idea of leverage, right? So, uh, well, quick, quick show of hands, how many of you uh, ha have, have written unit tests in here? Okay, about everyone, right? So, I don't think it'll be a shock if I, if I say, I mean, well, think about it in your head before I give my, my estimation. About how many lines of unit test code on average, does it take to test one line of production code? Go ahead, shout some numbers out. Okay, I, I would take that. Anyone disagree with 10? Okay, yeah, so it's, you know, at, at the minimum it's twice as much, but probably five to 10 is probably a lot more accurate. So think about this. Leverage is working against you, right? The more production code you write, the more unit test code you must write. If you have 1,000 lines of production code, you might have 10,000 lines of unit test code, or 5,000. So this is, unit tests are great, but leverage is working the opposite direction. Now, if you consider black box automated tests, right, these, these system tests, the leverage works the other way. I'm gonna show you how writing one line of a, of a black box automated test could test a thousand lines of your production code, right? Um, there, there's obviously, this is obviously depending on building a framework, but I just want to bring home the point that leverage is working the opposite direction with this. So there's a huge value, right, in having leverage. You can attest a lot more of your system if your focus is on black box automated tests. Um, so before we get into some code here, again, I want to get, uh, go over some of the common failure points so I can kind of set you up for where people are failing in doing this. Because uh, again, another show of hands here, how many of you have 
in some way been involved in, in what I call black box automation testing, written them, you know, or evaluating them, right? Okay. So large, large portion. Uh, and then, you know, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to here, but how many of you have been involved in failed efforts to do this? Okay, wow. <laughs> so everyone has been involved just about who's, who's done this in a failed effort, myself included. I raised my hand. Uh, my first attempts were, were, were failures, and I've been on teams that have, that have failed. So I'm going to tell you why. You'll probably relate to some of these. Okay, the first one, right? The first time we see automation testing, we, we see our record tool, and we're like, oh, we can just record this test. Right? And this never works. Right? It, it seems like a good idea. And then, uh, and then some developer goes and changes the, uh, the, the username field. And then you're like, what? You just broke a thousand of my tests. Right? So then, then you have to fix all those tests. So this doesn't work. And this is where most people start. Right? You can't just record. It's, it's not that, uh, that promise that the, the tooling vendors would, would have you believe, because it, it breaks. <laughs> then, then we get a little bit smarter, right? And we say, okay, well, we can't do you know, re recorded tests, uh, but if we learn the language, there's always some language underlying the recording tool, uh, then we can, we can manually write these tests and we'll have more control over them. We can put some variables in there and whatnot. Uh, th but we hit the same problem because we haven't built a framework. So what ends up happening is that uh, still that username, chain, that username field changes. Now we can handle it because we've got a variable. But now the page changes. Now it's a different workflow in the system. And then all those tests break because they're all dependent on this particular ID and this CSS tag, right, and, and this thing. So not building a framework is, is the, the, uh, the next problem. So, so you might have reached this point already and said, I need to have a framework, right? Um, and then maybe you've, you've, you've written a framework or you're using one, and then you write the, the tests as if they were, were code, production code. And so... Um, the, the QA uh, people in your organization who ultimately have to take over these tests, or maybe you are a QA uh, person who doesn't have, uh, or, or you're dealing with someone who doesn't have very deep developer knowledge, they look at your test code that you, the developer, or, you know, helped write this automated test, you knowing automation or Selenium, whatever tool you're using, and they look at it and they say, what is this? I don't know new object, right? Because you can't really write test code, automation test code, uh, in the same way that you write your production code for your application. Because if you do, it's a little bit too confusing. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, do well for business people and QA who have to then interpret and maintain this. So that can cause it to fail just because it's too complicated. So here's the approach that I'm going to take here. So the very first thing that we're going to do is we're going to separate out our automation framework. We're going to have our tests. Our tests are going to use our framework, and they are going to, the framework is going to touch the web app. We're not going to have the tests directly test the web app. Um, the other thing we're going to do is we're going to create simple tests. Right? Uh, the, the goal above everything else in, 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 this, in, in designing a good framework is to have tests that are easy to understand. Because the number one thing, after you've gotten everything else right, that causes automation efforts to fail is because uh, test breaks, right? And then someone looks at it, 
and they don't understand what's going on, so they don't fix it, or they throw the test out, they assume the test is bad. This happens all the time. People just leave the build with broken automation tests because it's, it's too hard to understand this. Um, and then one thing that I've found really useful um, is to avoid the over-engineering, the over-architecture, by letting the tests drive the, the development of the framework. So, you know, a lot of uh, well-meant projects start out saying, I'm going to build this great framework, and they spend months building this automation framework, uh, but it doesn't quite work right. It doesn't quite do, make it as easy to write tests. So I, I'm going to propose that what we do is we start by writing tests, just like we do in test-driven development right now. Right? Let's do test-driven development to build our automation framework. We'll start writing the tests in the, in the human language, the way that we'd like the tests to be written, and then we'll build a framework that will make it so that those tests can execute. And I'll show you some examples here. So first, let's look at uh, the test code that I'm going to show you a sample framework for. Now, we're not going to have time to build out a framework here, but I'm going to show you uh, a very, very simple skeleton of a framework. So what I've done here is I've just used the default ASP.NET MVC application. Right? This is our, our, our system that we're going to test. Let's make sure this comes up here. There we go. Okay, so it's not a very not a very interesting application, but I want to use a simple case here. So very simple, right? I can click uh, about, right? So I might have a test that says user can click about. It goes to the about page. Contact it goes to the contact page, right? Uh, register. Okay, so here's something a little bit more interesting. We're thinking about the test cases that we might automate here. Can we automate creating a new account? Okay, can we automate logging in and logging out? So this is you know very simple application, but this is something that you might write automated tests for. Um, okay, so now that we know what the functionality of the application is, how are we going to build an automation framework to test this, this pretty simple app? Well, the architecture that we're going to use is, uh, as I mentioned a little bit before, we're going to have our tests. Our tests are going to utilize the framework. The framework is going to use Selenium in this case, but you could, you could use whatever uh, automation framework you want or automation tool. And then the, the Selenium is going to touch the browser. So the, the distinct, this might seem obvious, but the distinction I want to make here is that the tests are not going to directly interact with the browser. So you're not going to have any kind of references to uh, IDs or anything that has to do with the HTML inside your test. Uh, it's always, all of that code is going to be in the framework. And the framework is going to deal with Selenium. So another way to think about this, right, is let's say we're going to create two projects. One project would be our framework. One project would be our test project. The test project doesn't reference Selenium. It doesn't use Selenium at all. It only uses the framework, and the framework uses Selenium. And the reason for this is because if all the tests reference the framework, and the framework has, uh, knows about your, your web application, right, then if your web application changes, let's say some page changes in your application, then all of those tests don't have to change because they're, they're using the framework. You just update, let's say, the ID field for some HTML value in your framework, and all the tests automatically still continue to work. 
So we're going to utilize the page pattern. How, how many of you have already have heard of the page pattern? OK. It's a fairly common automation uh, pattern. Uh, kind of a lot of people self-discover this at the same time. I was writing a blog post about this, and I noticed that someone else was, uh, because it, it kind of naturally uh, lends itself to this way. But what it essentially is, is every single page in our application, or every piece of functionality. Now we're kind of in this weird place where we don't have pages when we have like single page applications, but every route, you could say, right, is going to represent a page. And we're going to create a class, if doesn't matter what your programming language is, that is going to have functionality that mimics that page. Now here's the key distinction. This is where people get pages wrong, is we're not going to have, uh, you know, so l take a look at this login page example, right? Um, it's, I've got a method login, reset password, toggle remember me. But notice I don't have a method on here called uh, input uh, username, input password, right? Hit uh, submit button. We're, we're, we're operating at the, the uh, higher level of abstraction. We're operating at the level of the functionality of the page. And this is a clear, this is a very important distinction to get because this will influence the readability of your tests and how maintainable they are. If you operate at the low level details, there's really no difference than referencing the HTML directly in your test. But if you reference the high level details, if you say, what is this page supposed to do? From the user's perspective, what are the functions of this page? This is going to make a huge difference in the readability of your test and the maintainability. Um, it might not be too obvious now, but I'll show you some examples that'll make a little bit more sense here. And so, of course, our tests are going to reference those, those pages. That's primarily how we're going to interact with our framework. So let's, let's just take a look at what a page would look like. We already saw, saw the application, right? So now if we look and see in here, hopefully this is big enough, uh, we're going to take a look at, like, let's say, that login page. OK, now don't worry too much about the syntax here. But you can kind of see how this is modeled, right? There's, there's some code here. This is in the framework, right? That makes it so that you can access the, uh, the email and the password field and the, the button. But the functionality here is, you know, I've got a method login as last registered user. I've got uh, a couple of, of overloads for this. There's login. Uh, there's go to to go to the page. There's not a whole lot of functionality on this page, but this is what the tests are going to use. And we could look at a couple more of these. The out about page doesn't really contain any functionality. What's up, guys? John Sonmez here from simpleprogrammer.com, and I want to tell you about my free blogging course that you can sign up for at simpleprogrammer.com forward slash pblog. Now, this free blogging course is going to tell you how to create a blog to boost your career. It's something that you definitely don't want to miss. Thousands of developers have already gone through the course, the free course that you're going to get by email, and have learned how to create a blog to boost their career, to make more money, and even to grow their own side business. It's something that every single developer should do, especially if you're a web developer, you should have your own blog. I'm going to show you exactly how to do it, how to be successful, how to get traffic, everything that you need to know about creating a blog and even making money from it. Just go to simpleprogrammer.com forward slash pblog to sign up now. Once again, it's simpleprogrammer.com forward slash pblog. The register page is a little bit more interesting. Uh, it basically has uh, email, password, confirm password field, 
right? It has go to, it can, you can register a new user. Notice that, I mean, if you go to that register page, right, if I open this up, uh, we still got that up, yeah, okay. So if I go to this register page, there's, there's more controls on here, right? But notice there's only one function in here. Right, there's just this register new user, new user, because the goal of that page is really just to register a new user. Uh, there, there's no need to, to be more explicit about every single step. Right? So um, this will make a little bit more sense, too, when we, we look at some of the tests. But I want to kind of prime you for, for the right way to set up an automation framework first. OK. So when we're creating our framework, we're, we're, we, we talked about the higher level layers, but the framework itself should be consisted of, uh, of some important layers here, which they may not exist in all of your frameworks, but this is kind of the general pattern. So at the top, we have this idea of workflows. And workflows are built on top of pages. Uh, a good example of this is, now so you might not need workflows, but a lot of apps have workflows. So an example would be, let's say that you have an e-commerce app that has a shopping cart, right? Um, you have a page for, you know, add item to cart, you have a page for checkout item, and you write automated tests around that. But what happens when you have a test scenario that says, okay, uh, customer orders an item and purchases it, and then they return it because they, they, they want to cancel their order? Well, you don't want to write an automated test that says, goes through every single page, right, and says, okay, first we're going to go to login, then we're going to go and add this item to the cart, then we're going to go and do this. It's better to have a workflow called customer orders item, right? So if you create that kind of layer, that higher level of abstraction, then you don't have to write all this code. It's, the workflows are built on top of the pages, if, the, if that makes sense. They're the bigger things that you might do. They're kind of end-to-end -end things you might do in your application that you're not writing individual tests to test one particular page, but you're testing an entire workflow through the system. So that, that layer uh, usually exists in bigger apps that have defined workflows, and it's built on top of these pages. Those pages, remember, are at the individual, the routes or the, the functionality in the system that we define as a page, but the workflows might compose of multiple pages. Uh, from the pages, you have navigation and UI utilities, right? Every single application that you create has some kind of navigation. There's no point in repeating it in your framework for every single page. So you're probably going to have a navigation component that you want to build out to make it easy to navigate around your app. And then you have some kind of UI utilities, right? Uh, this is very application specific. One thing to think about when you're building a framework is you're building an app to test your app, right? So it's very customized to your app. So whatever your UI paradigm is, maybe if you're using uh, you know, like a single page application or a lot of JavaScript, that you might need some functionality here to help Selenium out to make it easier to access whatever kind of jQuery uh, tools you're using or you know, whatever kind of UI elements that you're using. So you will probably have that component. And then you have all of this working on top of Selenium or whatever your automation framework is uh, or your automation driver. And you may actually add a layer to abstract this. So in between this navigation and UI utilities, I've seen it before and I've implemented it before where someone said, well, I want to potentially swap out Selenium. I don't want to have the dependency on there. Uh, so you can actually add a layer there. I don't recommend you do it because it adds more complexity. 
unless you absolutely know that you're going to swap, or you might be using multiple tools. I've seen this before. Uh, I worked at HP before, and, and we, I actually automated uh, real printer pages coming out with a photograph of the, right? So we had some really complicated process. So we had more than just Selenium going on. We had uh, like uh, analog tools that were integrated. So we had to create a separation layer. It was kind of crazy, but we had a big budget. <laughs> so, okay, now I'm going to get to the point where, where maybe you'll understand why I was talking about using the higher level abstraction with the pages, right? I was a little bit vague before, but look at these two examples. Take a, take a look here and, and see, I mean, honestly, which one is easier, right, to, to understand and, and to read or to write? Right? On the left, they're doing the same things, right? Um, they're, they're both including the password in the <laughs> but but on on the left hand side you can see that it's I'm doing lower level steps I'm saying log on page go to you know enter the username enter the password login button click okay but if we operate at the higher level of abstraction all we're doing is we're going to the login page and we're logging in I can pass in the other information I don't need to explicitly say fill in this field Right? This is where tests become too complicated. It doesn't, it's for the user, you know, we're, we're looking at this from a user perspective, not from unit testing and integration, what we're used to. It, it, from the user's perspective, they're just logging in. So we don't need to specify. And the more that you specify here, the more dependent you are on the structure of the page. So if these fields change, right, even though you're not directly referencing them, uh, the, the, the way that they're being used uh, is, is, if that changes in some way, then this breaks, whereas this doesn't because the login page will always log in. That's always going to have that functionality. So let's look at some, some tests. Let me give you some examples here so you can see. Um, so just to give you an overview, I've got a, a project, right? This is my, my bat demo is the actual project. I've got the framework, which is a, a separate project, which we saw some of the pages in there. And then I have these, this test project. And this test project, remember, it doesn't really need to reference Selenium. So I've got one file here for some smoke tests. And we can just take a look at some of these tests to kind of get an idea of what. And they're really, really simple. This is going to seem too simple, but that's because the complexity is in the framework. So can I go to the about page? Well, I just go pages to. Assert is true, pages about is at. Very readable, right? This is the goal. Uh, can I go to the home page? Same thing. Uh, can I go to the contact page? Again, very simple. Now it gets a little bit more complicated. Can I register a new account? So I want to go to the register page, register dot, register new user. Very plain English, if you, if you notice the pattern here, and then always asserting something, and again, very, very simple. So to register a new user, we want to uh, register the new user and then assert that we're logged in as the last registered user. Um, you'll notice I'm not using variables or anything in here, and I'm using mostly static methods, which from, from a development perspective seems a little bit weird, but, uh, but when you're writing framework code, simplicity is the key uh, to have it maintained and understandable. Logging in is a little bit more of a complex example, right? You can see, though, it's still pretty simple. We're going to go to the login page. We're going to register a new user, then log out. Then we got to go back to the login page and then try to log in as the last registered user and then make sure that we're actually logged in as them.
And uh, same thing with logout. I've got a can change password. And you can see here where this can change password, maybe I could start using a workflow here, right? Because I'm going to different pages and doing different things. So this is where I might be able to actually refactor this out and say, ah, oh, if I do this a lot, let's have a workflow for, for changing a password. Um, that, I wouldn't do this unless I had tests that involve changing password, multiple tests. But uh, any questions about kind of what what's up here so far with the, with the framework? OK. Um, and let's run these tests real quick, just to show. It's always fun to run the test and watch it, uh, watch it go. There we go. All right. So you'll also notice they're really fast. Um, and that's uh, it's a pretty simple app, but Okay, and it also cleans up after itself if you notice that user is deleted. So if we look at these, we get all green, they all passed, right? All right, so let's move on. Okay, so I have some rules for, for framework automation here uh, that I've discovered over building probably like 15 automation frameworks for, for various different companies and failing a lot in the, in the past. Um, so these are the, my never rules. So I, I usually say never require tests to declare variables. And if you notice, uh, the reason for this is simply because, again, m most of the time automation tests are, it's best if they can be taken over by QA, people who may not understand development, and, and even better if business people can start understanding the test and perhaps even writing their own. I know writing their own is, is, is a little bit of a, of a pipe dream, but understanding the test is possible. If, if you can write automated tests that, don't, that, that kind of obey these rules, you can actually have business people understand the test, and that is a huge value. It, it also makes it a lot more likely that your automation efforts are going to get funded. <coughs> um, never require new. This is kind of obvious if you're not having variables, but again, New is something that I can show a, a QA person who's never seen a, le a line of dev code some of my automated tests, and as long as I don't have variables and don't have the word new, they'll, they'll get it. it. It's plain English. But as soon as that new comes in, that's a really hard thing to explain to someone who doesn't know about uh, object-oriented programming, right? So don't, don't try to avoid that if you can. And, and well, we'll cover this in a, in a second, but we want to make the complexity in the framework, not in the test. Uh, don't require the test to manage your own state. This one's really hard, and, and I get a lot of skepticism with this one, but it's doable. Um, and I'll, I'll show you some techniques, and, and, uh, and if, you're, if you're curious about how to do this one, come up to me afterwards. We don't really have time to go into re really a lot of detail, but I'll show you in the code, and I'll, I'll put, post this code out there for you to take a look. But it, it's definitely possible, and, uh, and it definitely helps. Um, Again, this one should be obvious at this point. Don't expose the browser or DOM to test and let them manipulate it directly. We get into that whole fragile, you know. But I state this here because inevitably, uh, when I have someone on an automation team, they start doing this, and you have to kind of know not to do that. Sure. Yes, and you can do that in the framework. 
um, you can have a variable and you can use like an app config or I mean there, there's different ways to set up the configuration or you can um, you need some kind of bootstrapping so you might need to say uh, but you don't want to have that URL repeated in every single task because then it would be so so there's a way ar around that but yeah good point that's it, it's true you do have to figure out some way to do that okay so Always rules here. Uh, so always reduce the number of parameters for AP calls, API calls when possible. So what I mean by this is that again, this is based on simplicity. If I can, if if you give someone your automation framework and and it has test methods or you know methods that have seven parameters, and they have to figure out what all those are, it's it's not readable. It's it's difficult to understand. Try to reduce it down to to one if you can. Uh, again, this is probably just a good programming practice in general, but um, default values instead of requiring parameters when possible. So uh, this, this one is kind of a little bit difficult to explain, but essentially you want to eliminate as many open fields as possible, right? So instead of making it so that uh, the, the user has to pass in when, they, when the user automation framework, like, uh, um, a, a, a value for a text field, give them a set of options, give them an enumeration so that they have a limited choice to choose from. That makes it easier than, than if they're in Visual Studio or you know, Java and Eclipse, they can hit dot and they can see what their options are. Makes it much more likely that they're going to understand what's going on and use it. Uh, and then these are ones that I prefer. These are not hard and fast rules, but these are kind of guidance, right? Which is, we, in this one I talked about a little bit, we want to make the APIs uh, more usable, more simple, and we want to uh, put the, the complexity into the framework. So the framework can be extremely complex, and it will be in order to make the tests simple, but we always want to move it to that side, right? We want to make sure that the complexity is not in the tests, because if the tests are complex, what happens? They don't get maintained, they don't get used, the project gets thrown out, it's deemed a failure. If the tests are simple, right, and the framework is complex, that's good, because we're, if we're building frameworks, you know, we know some development, we can, we can handle that complexity, but if we push it out to the test to make it easier to develop the framework, that, that's a bad, a bad thing. Um, and then again, I, I talked about this a little bit, but this idea of using enumerations and constants, you want to prevent open fields as much as possible for passing into your framework. You want to make it as simple as possible. And the way to do that is to use things like enumerations or to, uh, to use some kind of constants. You'll notice in my tests that I don't even have uh, the, the person who writes a test when they, when they use my framework, they don't even come up with a username. I have a username generator that generates it for them. There's no need to require that input uh, unless, it's, unless it's actually relevant to the test. If you want to test that uh, certain uh, characters work in a username field, yeah, have them, that's part of the test. But if you don't care what the username or password is or address or all of this details, auto-generate that and don't even let the person who writes the test have to worry about that. So real quick, uh, let's, let's talk about the difference between uh, or what we're doing when we're doing this is we're really creating uh, an internal DSL or domain-specific language. This is your goal because, uh, and, and the reason why I say an internal one is because it's a little bit more complicated to create an external, a real language for testing. You could do this. I've actually done this before on, on a project uh, with, uh, with a, a tool called Antler, uh, which lets you basically create your own language. Uh, but it's complicated. In most cases, 
all we really need to do is make our own kind of language in Java or in C Sharp or in JavaScript or whatever language that we're using that, that is understandable. It has its own dialect. Uh, when you look at the automated tests, it doesn't look like regular code, but it, it's consistent within itself. So let's go ahead and look at the framework. Uh, and I'll show you. We, we've, we've looked at some of the things already, right? We've looked at the pages. But let's look a little bit more deeper. In fact, uh, probably the best thing to do is to follow one of these tests in. And, and I'll follow something uh, a little bit, little bit more complicated. Let's follow the login test. So you know, I've got a, a pages class here. That's a static class that has, you know, again, don't worry too much about the, 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 the syntax in C-sharp, but essentially it's made it uh, so that I can statically hit dot, and I know that there's pages. I can see a list of all the pages, right? Yes, yes, exactly, yep. Or in, a, or in the framework. You'll see, you'll see how the framework manages the state. Um, so, so we've got all these, these pages. This is, again, for simplicity's sake. Right, let me go back here. So if we look at this pages register go to. Well go to takes us to the page. Oh, sure. How's that? Good? Okay. So um, go to, you know, it, it knows how to get here by pages top navigation uh, register. Because remember when we looked at our app, we had that top navigation. So that I consider a page. So then that, you know, and this functionality knows how to get there by just doing the register link click, because this thing knows how to grab the, the actual uh, elements, right? So um, if we go back here to register a new user, I'll zoom in here. Uh, you'll notice that in order to register a new user, I use a user generator, and I generate a new user. And this is sort of hard-coded here, but you can see this pattern, right? The user uh, needs an email address and password. So let's have an email address generator and a password generator, and these guys can be generated automatically. <laughs> and now you can see where, the, where, it, where, it, uh, where it's actually just a, a facade here. But, <laughs> uh, but the same thing for the, you know, the, the password generator, right? Uh, obviously, you would have you know, a real randomized generator that, that is specific to your system. But I didn't need that at this point. So you notice also that I let the test drive this. I, I, didn't, I don't need it yet until we get to a more complex situation. Um, and then we can look at here. So let's go back here. So then you know, top navigation, log out. Right, This makes sense. Uh, and then log in as last registered user. This is where the state is kind of managed in here. You'll notice that this user generator has this last generated user. And, and this is how I'm avoiding using new and creating variables and storing state in the test. I'm letting the, the framework know what, what it generated last. Because most of the time when I write a test, right, I create a new user, and then I reuse that user. I don't care what the user is. So why put it in the test? Why create a variable that stores? No, no, the framework knows the last one it generated. And in most cases, that's what you need. So this, this solves like 90% of the test cases. There might be some test cases where you need to be specific. But if we can make it as simple as possible, this is, is the better way to go. So you'll notice that I try to pull all the state back into the framework so that the, the framework is managing this. There's a, I use a lot of last generated x, last generated y, in order to make it so that the test becomes as simple as possible. Because really, you've got to think about this this way, too. The goal of your test is to test this specific thing. 
it's not to test everything in the world. It's not to test that, you know, that every time that you can type usernames into, into fields, it's to test specific functionality. So that's where I'm trying to drive the test to really talk about and only focus on what they're specifically trying to test. Um, so, and I think that's really the, the more interesting parts of the, of the framework. You can see where I've kind of created extensions to make an exist that didn't exist in, Sel in Selenium. So this is kind of the things that, where I said that UI interaction layer that you might have in your framework. Uh, you know, this is a very simple framework, but it doesn't have to be a lot more complicated than this. Uh, one more thing I'll show you here is this test base. So most of the time you're going to have some kind of base setup. So you'll notice that uh, that all of my tests inherit from this, and they basically you know initialize the browser. The user generator is initialized, so that means that it gets rid of the last saved user and and clears itself. And then when it tears itself down, it does some cleanup. It checks to see if you're logged in and, and logs you out. It clears out the users and, and cleans up after itself. So these are other important parts of of most frameworks. So one last bit here. Um, I've got some tips, and I'm just going to real quickly lightning round through these. Automating difficult things. Like I said, I worked at HP, and I actually automated photographing printouts from printers. So it is possible. Not always practical, but, but you can do more than you might think. So, uh, so, so think about that. Errors versus failures. We didn't really have much time to, to look at this in the framework. But just know that there's a distinction between errors in the framework and failures of the test. And you want to make that as clear as possible. When you're making a framework, if uh, what you're testing should only be a failure if that fails. If something else blows up in the framework because some page wasn't there or some element, that's an error. And you can flag that in different ways. But consider in your framework that you need to separate out errors from failures. Continuous integration, obviously, if you don't put your automated tests in continuous integration, they're gonna not, it's not going to get run. It's not going to get used. So, uh, so make sure that the, the, you have smoke tests, and you put them in as soon as, uh, as, as soon as they're ready, and they always must pass. As soon as the tests fail in a continuous integration build, and, they, and that's not a big alert for the project, then you're, you're, you're probably on the way to uh, having your project die. As far, as far as automation. Scaling out, you can scale these out, but you want to think about that ahead of time uh, to, to make sure that, uh, that you have the resources. There's a ton of tools out there now, especially with Selenium, to uh, scale out. Um, so that is possible, especially with VMs. And that's it. Uh, I have a, a course on Pluralsight that kind of goes into more of the depth here. Uh, I'm happy to, to help any of you out. I know this is hard in a 40-minute session. So if you want to come up or if you see me around the conference, I'm glad to share the code with you and, and talk more, more shop. I love doing automation framework stuff, and I hope that this has been useful to you.